Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 21. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 21. As we're continuing with the life and ministry of David, we have seen that David has gone through some legitimately hard times. And if we were to be honest, the things that David went through Maybe a little bit harder than you and I have gone through. You say, really? I said, absolutely. How many times has someone tried to kill you? Repeatedly. David has gone through some hard times. And it is no wonder, and we can be sympathetic, that when he founds out that someone's trying to kill him, his impulse was to save his life and to run. And oftentimes in the midst of fear, in the midst of pressure, in the midst of things not working out in in the way that we think they should work out, there is so often a great temptation for us to try to take the situation back into our own hands. So often it is our inclination to go ahead and take control back and say, God isn't getting it accomplished, it's back to me and I have to get it done. And then so often when that happens, things get worse and we get frustrated. And wonder what's going on. This is where David is at. In this passage here. And so if you wouldn't mind. To take your copy of the word of God. And turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 21. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 21. And notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Samuel 21 and verse 1. Then came David to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business <laughs> and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee and what I have commanded thee and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. First Samuel chapter 21 and verse 3. Now therefore what is under thy hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said there's no common bread under my hand but there is hallowed bread if the young men have kept themselves from at least from women. And David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth women have been kept from us about these three days since I have come out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in the manner of common. Yea, though it were sanctified this day in a vessel. So the priest gave them hallowed bread. For there was no bread there but the showbread. That was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now a certain of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdsmen that belonged to Saul. And David said unto Ahimelech, 
Is there not here under thy hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there is no other save it here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it me. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in the dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart, and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them, and feigned himself mad in their hands, and scrabbled on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see the man is mad. Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of this madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And with all of this we see in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we see a little incident here that we often call David's flight. David's flight. And with the Lord's help, we want to hit the things that are occurring in this situation here during the time of David's flight. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for the great singing that we had earlier and the appropriate songs of trusting in you, standing on your promises, depending upon you. And now as we dive into this message here, let us learn practically what it means to trust in you, what it means to depend upon you, what it means to wait on you, and also the opposite of what it is not. I'm asking that it would help every single person within the sound of my voice in a way to strengthen their faith, to help them to advance forward, that they go, go on in a strong way, trusting in you, and that you would keep them in perfect peace. For those that keep their mind upon you. Because they trust in you. Lord do something wonderful in someone's life. Draw them close to you now. And we love you in Jesus name we pray. Fill me with your spirit. Amen. As we come to this passage here. We understand that David has not had a hard time. As we mentioned before that David has been told he was going to be the king. But it looks like it's so far away from him being king. God has anointed, sent Samuel to anoint him. Told him he was going to be king. But there's someone else sitting on the throne and that's Saul. And Saul has kind of lost his marbles to use an expression. He's been so far away from God and he is so jealous and so bitter with David. So much that he has attempted to kill David multiple times. And as we said on the odd site, that you may be having a hard time, but none of you, I'm assuming, are at the place where someone is trying to kill you multiple times. 
Well, David has now come to the place where he's taking things in his own hands. And as we explained before, how easy it is for us when things get hard, when things don't seem to be going our way, when things seem to get tough, that we take the situation back into our hands instead of trusting in God, and we feel like we have to take things, take care of things ourselves. Usually when we read of David, we find the man of faith. Usually when we read about the man of David, we find the man after God's own heart. Usually when we read about the life of David, especially in these early stages, we read a man about a man who trusts in God completely. This is not the man that we find in 1 Samuel 21. We have a man now who is desperate, a man who is scared, a man who is afraid, a man who is now in self-preservation mode and he is not trusting in God. He is not waiting on God. He is not depending on God. He's not looking at God and he does not have perfect peace. He does not have any assurance. He is running scared. And in here we see that there are three specific things that David is not trusting the Lord upon. And because of that, he is failing. He is failing in his Christian life. He is not seeing victory because he is failing to trust in the Lord. If you don't mind, the very first thing I'd like to point out here is that in his hunger, David failed to trust the Lord for his bread. In his hunger, he failed to trust the Lord for his bread. If you don't mind, let's pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And notice with me in verse 1. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? So David has now traveled. He has already tried to do everything he could. He is... He is at this time, he went to Samuel the prophet, and Samuel the prophet could not protect him. He has gone to Jonathan the priest, and Jonathan the priest could do nothing. The next natural thing was for him to go to the high priest, Ahimelech. Maybe the high priest can help me. Let me go to the temple of God. And so he goes to where the tabernacle is, and you're familiar with the tabernacle, the the. All the pieces of the furniture, the holy of holies, all of that. This is where he goes to. And so he goes to Nob and he goes to Himelech, the high priest at this time. And when Ahimelech sees David, he's used to seeing David leading troops. He's used to seeing David commanding presence. He's used to seeing David obeying Saul's orders. But here is David all by himself. You can almost imagine that you've seen him before. This is a man who was rugged or a... Uh, Ruddy, he was handsome, he was good looking, he was young. But now he comes in and he looks disheveled. He looks desperate. There's almost something in his eyes. And it's partly because he's not trusting in God. And so he comes in all by himself. Of course the high priest recognizes him and scared. And Why are you by yourself? And now we see David as he's not trusting the Lord. And like we often do when we don't trust the Lord, we lie. We lie because we don't want everyone to see how bad we are. We don't want people to see how desperate we are. And we can't even be honest. You see, David here is not a good guy. He's a desperate guy. 
And the Bible is always honest. David is one of the heroes of the Bible. But the Bible does not cover up his behavior. It does not cover its sin. It does not explain away his sin. And it doesn't justify his sin. It just states this is what happened. And so the Bible does not give permission for David to lie. It is recording this is a desperate man who lies because he is not trusting God. Notice if you don't mind in verse 2. And David said unto Himelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business. Hey, the reason why I'm here is because Saul told me to do something. Is that true? No, it is not. He's actually running from Saul. Saul does not know he is there. The king hath commanded me a business and hath said unto me, Let no man know the thing of the business wherein I send thee and what I have commanded thee. And I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. So David tells the preacher, By the way, you are honestly not trusting the Lord when you start lying to your preacher. He gets to the preacher and says, Saul sent me off. He told me to business and he told me not to tell anybody. He told me to come running and I, here I am. I'm passing through and I've got something to ask for. Verse number three. Now therefore, what is under thy hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or what there is present. So David makes the inference that he's got a whole army waiting out back. And David is coming by himself and says, hey, we just need to stop. You got any food? You got anything? I got to feed the troops. Verse number four. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under my hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves from at least women. Verse number five. And David answered the priest and said unto them, Of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I have come out. And the vessels of the young men are holy. And the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in a vessel. So David comes and says, hey, do you got any bread? And the priest says, we don't have any common bread, meaning we don't have everyday bread that we just got at the store or we just made ourselves. The only bread that they have in the tabernacle is the bread that was made for the table of showbread. If you remember, inside of the um, holies, you had three pieces of furniture. You had the, um, the candlestick that showed that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. In the very back, you had the altar of incense, which represented the prayers. Then you had the table of showbread. And the table of showbread, Jesus is the bread of life. And that every day they would make some bread, some unleavened bread, and they would put it there as a display. And they would make it fresh every day. And so what has just happened is that they had just made some fresh bread. They had replaced the table of showbread with brand new bread. And they have in their hands now the yesterday's bread that was set aside for the Lord. And so the high priest says, well, we got this old bread that was set aside for the Lord. It was set aside for God's use and now it's over with. I guess I can give this to you if you're really desperate, but you and your troops out there at least have to be at least pure enough that you haven't been, uh, been with ladies in a while. Well, David said, I can tell you without a fact that everyone that's with me has not been with someone for three days. Well, he's the only one there, but again, he's speaking with the idea that he's got a whole bunch of troops out there. He, again, he's lying. Remember, I want you to remember Part of the proof that you are not trusting in God is when you lie. When you can't be honest, it is evidence 
you are not trusting in God because God does never condones lying. Lying is never excusable. And David's just lying through his teeth because he's not trusting in God for his own bread. He feels like David has to take things in his own hands in order to get bread. Now, bread is necessary. Bread is needed. But he has to lie now to justify it, to get it. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 6, So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, and it was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. What's going to happen later is that David is going to learn his lesson, and he's going to realize that he could have trusted in God. But in his hunger... He failed to trust in God and bread. Later on in Psalm 36 or 37 verse 25, David says this. I've been old, young and old, and I have yet, I have yet seen the... Uh, let me just read it to you. I don't want to misquote it today because this is an important verse. In Psalm 37, you don't have to turn there. I'll quote it to you because we're going to stay in 1 Samuel. But in Psalm 37... Excuse me. And verse 25, it says this. I have been young and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. David learned his lesson later. But what is he saying in Psalm 37? He says, if you are part of God's family, if you're one of his children, you never have to beg for bread. God will provide it if you trust in him. It's the times that we don't trust in him that we start manipulating, lying, trying to justify, trying to force something to happen in order to take care of our needs. You know, God, and we're going to see all throughout here, whenever we get to the place where we're not trusting in God and we have to do it ourselves, God will take his hands off and say, all right, let me know when you need me. And he will let us struggle. You say, will a Christian go hungry? If he's trying to do it himself, absolutely. As long as he's trying to fix the situation himself. As long as she is trying to fix the situation herself. God will say, fine. I'm here when you finally give up. But as long as they're trying to force it, manipulate, lie, work, they may not even be necessarily lying and sinning, but they feel like they have to do it themselves. As long as they're in that mindset, God will say, I'll let you. In his hunger, David failed to trust God for bread. Of course, he learned his lesson later, and he says, let me tell you a secret. I've been young and now old. And I've yet, I have never, ever seen the righteous begging bread. Never seen it. It will never be done. Someone who's right with God and trusting in Him, God will never fail. Never fail. And there's no idea that God will, doesn't play games like that. He keeps His word. He will take care of you. If it seems like God's not taking care of you, it's a good time to say, am I truly trusting in God? Or have I been trying to force things to happen? That's the idea here. As long as you're working for yourself, 
God will let you. So we see first of all, and this is only the first of it, that in his hunger, he failed to trust God for bread. Notice there's a second thing here. In his haste, David failed to trust God for his protection. In his haste, he failed to take in God or trust in God for his protection. Notice what happens in verse 7. Verse 7 is a key verse. It seems nothing. It seems benign right now. But on Sunday night, you will see it is not benign at all. Verse number 7. Now a certain of the servants of Saul that was there that day detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdsmen that belonged to Saul. Now if you've never heard of Doeg before, we're going to hit a whole sermon on him. And let me tell you, of the five worst dastardly villains in all of the word of God, he's in the top five of the worst villains in the Bible. This is how awful he is. This is how horrible he is. And by the way, David knows him. David knows who he is. So you can imagine David's been on the lookout. He's been hiding. He's been running from Saul. He's spent time with Samuel. He's gone to Jonathan. And now he went to the high priest and he's kind of hiding out. And as he's taking the bread, he looks out and goes, oh no. There's Doag and he just saw me. Things just got bad because Doag is an evil man. He's not even a Hebrew. He's from Edomite. He's one of the Israelites' enemies, but he works for Saul. And he saw David and he says, this is not good. This is not good. And he begins to panic. And so David rushes back in, verse number 8. And David said to Ahimelech, is there not any uh, here under thy hand, spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword or my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. So David pokes himself back in and says, Ahimelech, do you got any weapons? Is there anything here? Do you got a gun? Do you got something? Anything in behind? Something. He sees the enemy out there and he knows he's in trouble. And by the way, David lies again. Hey, I was such a hurry to do Saul's business. I'm just obeying the king that I left to go take. Um, uh, that I didn't bring my weapons with me. Now, let me tell you another secret. The preacher can tell if you're lying or not. Himelech's not stupid. Himelech knows that David is a warrior. And if Saul sent David to go take care of military business, David is not Going to leave his weapons behind. That was the whole purpose of him being sent out. Ahimelech knows there's something going on here. But David, once again, lying to the preacher. Because he's trying to take things for himself. And in his haste, he failed to trust in God for his protection. Notice as it goes on. Verse number 9. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath... The Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Eli, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. And if thou wilt take it, take it, or take that, take it. For there was none other save here. And David said, There is none other like that. Give it to me. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So David 
says, you got any weapons? You got anything? And the high priest says, all we have here is Goliath's sword that's wrapped up in a towel. It is so big that no one could use it, so we've just kind of set it aside as a trophy. David said, if that's all you get, man, there's nothing like that. I'll take this thing. Now, remember, David's, Goliath's sword, he was nine foot four inches. His sword is going to be several feet long. You can almost imagine David carrying that thing and dragging it behind or almost like a cartoon character that sword is just like bigger than him and he's holding it hey in his desperation he's going to take anything in his desperation fine if that's what i got i'll take it and he's failing to trust in god to be his sword his shield his protector because he got in a hurry you know hurry causes a lot of problems when we're in a hurry, we're not waiting on God. When we get impatient, we make a lot of mistakes and not trusting God. And once again, we're watching David, who was a man after God's own heart, who is usually a good guy, but we're watching him in a weak moment. By the way, I'm not condemning David because I empathize with him. He's being hunted legitimately. If Saul gets him, he's going to do everything he can to kill him. However, God won't let him kill him. Jesus says, you're going to the other side. You're going to the other side. Jesus said, you're going to be king. He's going to be king. But in a matter of fear, he's, he's not trusting in God. And it's snowballing out of control. He got hungry, and he's not trusting in God for his bread. He got in a hurry. He's no longer patient. He's trying to get out of there. And he's not trusting in God to protect him. Even though the enemy's right there. God can protect him. Which now brings us to the third thing we see here. In his heartbreak, David failed to trust in God for his direction. In his heartbreak, he failed to trust in God for his direction. You know, God can guide us and can tell us which way to go. But whenever we're at the place where we are so self-absorbed, we're not trusting in God, and we start picking the own direction, our own directions, our directions can lead us to places we never thought we would go. And sure enough, David is at the place that if you had talked to him a couple months ago, would have laughed you out of, out of town if you told him he was going to go. To the Philistines for protection. For help. So he runs to Achish. Verse number 10. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul. And went to Achish the king of Gath. This is the Philistines. You remember the Philistines? This is the Philistines who plagued Israel. And wouldn't let them have weapons. This is the Philistines who overrun Israel. And made them servants and slaves. This was Israel that David went and challenged their champion. Killed Goliath. And then this is David and the same Philistines. That for a dowry his future father-in-law says hey. Why don't you kill the Philistines and give them their man parts to me? And he said, okay. And he killed 200 of them. The Philistines are not going to look at David very kindly. But out of his desperation, he says, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I'm going to go check them out. So he goes to the Philistines, God's enemies. He goes to the Philistines, Israel's enemies. The Philistines, who are David's enemies. The Philistines, who, when they, if they catch David, this is going to be the greatest prize they've ever caught. So, David shows up. 
Verse number 11. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? They don't even consider Saul the king. They consider David the king. So what good group is this? We got the king of, the, of our enemies. All right. Did they not sing one to another in the dances saying Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David laid these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So let's play this scenario out. David travels all the way up from Benjamin, where Saul has set up his headquarters. And he has traveled east as far as he can go till he finds the city of Gath, the Philistine city. And he goes to Achish and he goes, hey guys, I'm David. Can I talk to the boss? Now, can you imagine him announcing that? Walking in the Philistines, everyone staring at him because he looks like a Hebrew. He's not a Philistine, he's a Hebrew. And he walks in and says, hey, I'm David. You're who? I want to go talk to the king. All right. And so, can you imagine how many guards are around David? Could you imagine as they bring him in and the king says, David's here? Is he going to kill us? What's going on? Sits on his throne. They get David to come in. He's all by himself. Nobody's there. And they bring him in and they said, David says, hey, can I stay here for a while? And the counselors start talking and say, hey, this is the guy who just got through killing a bunch of us. This is the one that everyone's singing songs about. This is the guy who is mutilating the bodies of Philistines. And everybody's... And David starts hearing them tell the tales and he says, I think I'm in trouble now. What do I do? I think I took a wrong turn. I should have took the left of it, Albuquerque or something. Something happened. So David, desperate, all by himself, not trusting in God, notice what happens. Verse number 13 and he changed his behavior before him and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the do doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down his beard. So he says, oops, I better show them that I'm crazy. Let's, uh, let's take the crazy cart. So he starts meowing, meow, and starts rubbing against the door and scratching the post and starts letting spit run down his beard and kind of, hi, guys. And just starts acting crazy. And the Philistines start laughing. This is a guy who killed Philistines and he's lost his mind. He's now crazy. He's acting the fool. And the king says, what in the world have you brought him here for? Verse 14. And Achish said unto his servants, lo, you see the man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? You see he's crazy. Why are you bringing this crazy guy before me? Have I need of madmen? What, do I need more crazy people around here? You guys not enough? You bring this guy up here? That you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come to my house? Now, I want you to think about it. They brought David in and they're scared of him. They brought David in and they remember how he stood before Goliath and says... That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. They remember that speech. They remember him going up and saying, You come to me with sword and staff and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord our God. 
And now he's crazy. He's desperate. He's foolish. He's a joke. You know what happens when we fail to trust in God? We turn into a joke for those who watch us. And by the way, people are watching you. As soon as you say that you go to church, they're watching you. Because they want to see if you're a regular person or do you really trust in God. And do you know when they get to see if you trust in God? When the bills get tight. They see if you trust in God. When the pressure gets turned on, they see if you are trusting in God. Do you think these people feared God after watching this? Not at all. David is a laughing stock. They have no fear of their God. And what's going to happen because of this is that the Philistines are now going to go back to war with Israel because they're not afraid of God anymore. All because David failed to trust in God and God didn't lead him in his direction. And so what we have here is a desperate man. And again, I empathize with him. He, Saul is legitimately trying to kill him. But when God says you're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. But he failed to trust in God. In his hunger, he failed to trust God for his bread. In his haste, he failed to trust God for his protection. In his heartbreak, he failed to trust in God for his direction. And now... All he looks like is desperate. All he looks like is pathetic. All he looks like is crazy. The testimony of David is marred. Instead of being known as someone who trusted the Lord, they just see him as pathetic, weak, and their God doesn't trust him. So that brings us to the opposite now. What? Does it mean to trust in God? We, we've used that phrase a lot. And we can often use that phrase in a way that, that sounds very religious. But people don't know what it means. What does it mean to trust in God? Turn with me if you don't mind to the book of Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, and if you don't mind, notice with me a promise that God gives in Isaiah 26 in verse number 3. Isaiah 26, and in verse number 3. The Bible says this, Isaiah 26 and verse number 3. Thou, this is God, will keep him, this is man, in perfect peace. Not just in peace, but perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. So here we have this idea of trusting in God. God made you a promise. It doesn't matter what situation you go through. When you're hungry, if you trust in God, he will keep you in perfect peace. When you are impatient or when you when you have to be in a hurry when, when you need protection God promised to keep you in perfect peace if you trust in him there's no exception clause 
If you are not in perfect peace in the midst of your heartbreak, in the midst of your situation, you are not trusting God. Now, again, I'm building a case. We're talking about trusting God. What does that mean? Trusting in God is equivalent to waiting on God. The ultimate form of worship is waiting on Him. Now again, let's define our term. What does it mean to wait on God? To wait on God is to believe that God will come through so much that I am obedient to Him in everything else. Waiting on God means I trust in Him so much to carry it through that I'm willing to obey Him until He comes through. What does that mean? All right, so let's say that someone is having issues with finances. If they are truly trusting in God, they are willing to tithe, give, and give to missions, knowing that God will take care of the other finances, knowing it, keeping them in perfect peace. You know what happens so often is that when the pressure gets put on, people begin to disobey God. And now they're living in disobedience and they cannot have the victory. Because you're disobedient. God honors obedience. Maybe let's say that someone who's going through a family issue. And their family needs to get right with God. And what happens is that they start to get <laughs> impatient. So they stop going to a service. Maybe it's a Wednesday night. Then they stop showing up to Sunday school. Next thing you know they're just going to church every once in a while. And they're in disobedience. All the time wondering and getting mad at God. Why doesn't he fix them? Because they're not waiting on God. Waiting on God, trusting in God is not just saying, sure, God will take care of me and at the same time being disobedient. Waiting on God means I believe that he is going to do it so much. I'm going to be as obedient to God as I possibly can right now. Waiting on God is not twiddling your thumbs. It's staying busy in what God has given you to do. That's what it means. Someone who is not waiting on God is someone who's not being obedient to what God has given them to do. Someone who's not reading their Bible is not waiting on God. Someone who's not praying is not waiting on God. Someone who's not tithing is not waiting on God. Someone who's not soul winning and trying to tell people about the Lord is not waiting on God. Someone who's not faithful to church is not waiting on God. And people start getting to the place where they're becoming more and more disobedient and they get mad at God. Why doesn't he fix this? Because he's waiting on you. Remember the New Testament story where Jesus Christ said, guys, I'm going to go pray I want you to go to the other side of the, take the ship, go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I'll meet you there. And a storm hit in the middle of the night. Now, remember what God said. God said, you're going to the other side. But what happened? In the middle of the night, the storm starts hitting. And it says they row and they row and they row. And the wind is blowing their ship. And they're rowing as hard as they can. And they're going nowhere. They're working hard for themselves and going nowhere. Why? Because they're doing it themselves. It wasn't until Jesus got on the boat with them that the storms calmed and they sailed over there no problem. The Bible gives us this in the book of James. God 
resisteth the proud. That carries the idea that he stands in our way. As long as we're trying to do it ourselves, he puts more resistance. And the more that we try to do it ourselves, the more he pushes back. You say, that's mean. No, God wants to be trusted. God needs to be needed. God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. As soon as we give up and say, God, you're in charge. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. It's almost like he puts his hand on your back and pushes you to where you're supposed to go. And it's much easier. The idea is, do you trust in God? When we don't trust in God, we start failing. And the very end of it is, is that we've made ourselves a fool and made our God untrustworthy to those who watch us. When we start freaking out, panicking, going crazy, people watch us. And they said, well, I can't trust their God because they can't trust their God. And that's exactly what happened to David. Again, most of the time, David is an example, a good example. But in this story, now again, I don't want to condemn David because... I don't think I'm that spiritual. I think that if people were trying to kill me, I would probably be panicking just a bit. But we're not excusing his behavior, and neither is God. God is not justifying his behavior. He's pointing it out. And we see the consequences of this, which brings us to the place. God made you a promise. He will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. If you don't have perfect peace in the midst of your hard times, it is because you are not trusting God. Now, I'm not being mean to you. I have to be honest and point out what is going on so it can be fixed. God promised that David was young and now he's old and he's yet to see the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God promised you he would take care of your needs. He promised it. Do you believe him? Do you believe him enough to be obedient and trust in God to give you the needs? God promised to give us protection. Now we have enemies out there, sometimes real, sometimes imagined, but we got enemies out there. Can you trust him to protect you? He promised you perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusted thee. Do you need direction? You don't have to panic and freak out. Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? You could say, I know what God has given me to do and I could have a perfect peace about it because I trusted him. And remember, waiting on God is not twiddling our thumbs. It's being obedient to everything God has given us to do while we're trusting that he's going to do his part. This is the key here. If you truly believe that God is going to do what he said he was going to do, you are willing to be obedient to everything that God has given you to do. God made you a wonderful, it's not a wonderful promise. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusted in thee. Here we have an incident of David not trusting in God but taking things in his own hands and he is not in perfect peace. 
He's lying. He's lying to the preacher. He's trying to manipulate. He's trying to force. He's trying to make it work. You will live your life one of two ways. You will live your life by faith or you'll live your life by force. You'll live your life frantically and desperately trying to make things happen and push it and make it. Or you'll live your life in perfect peace, trusting in God and being obedient to what he's given you to do. The faith life is the greatest life because God is trustworthy. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.